Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sesploitation Conflagration. Here are your two amazing hosts, Nate Bradford and Stephen Ronquillo. Guys, take it away! Hello, everybody. Happy week before Thanksgiving and Crapsgiving and all that. And... Nate said that he wouldn't go. He didn't want to come on here no more because we didn't have a party. But then I have pictures from the party that he didn't want his wife to see, so it worked out kind of nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, she doesn't need to know everything about my life. <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting is is that you've caught a movie. You watched the. Uh, um, a new movie this week, and I'll let you talk about it, but it's weird. The past three weeks, it's always been number nine. It's not done any better, and it's not done any worse. <laughs> right? Oh. Oh, wait. All right. Hold on a second. I'll be right back. I'm tangled up in my headphones. <laughs> Oh, God, I hope this isn't like Demon Seed or Westworld or Maximum Overdrive where his equipment is trying to kill him. <laughs> oh, my God, his equipment did kill him. Oh, God. Why couldn't you wait until after the show? All right. Technical difficulties remedied. Yeah. And what movie did you watch last week in between all the parties and joke slinging that you didn't seen? Oh, so the French Dispatch. What do you think of it? Well, I think, you know, uh, I've been talking about this a lot lately with a lot lot of different... uh, directors you know it seems like we've reached this era of prestige directors uh like you know and like wes anderson and quentin tarantino and these guys were like paul thomas anderson paul thomas anderson although i would i would kind of put him in a slightly different category because with you know paul thomas anderson has a very you know cinematic look to all of his pictures but some a lot of them are thematically different. Whereas, you know, there seems to be a lot of themes that repeat in like Wes Anderson and Quentin Tarantino movies. Whereas, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of, you know, plays it fast and loose. Sometimes people get what's coming to them. Sometimes they don't, you know, like, uh, yeah, that's and the of course, biggest you know. complaint I've gotten in news is that he plays it safe with, uh, the French Dispatch. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's just a pastiche of, you know, like I said, that's what most of these directors have, have boiled down to now is just, uh, you know, everything is just a pastiche of everything that they've done before. So fans don't go into a Wes Anderson movie or a Quentin Tarantino movie or, you know, even a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, you know, with knowing, not knowing what to expect. But, like on the other side of that coin, another, uh, you know, 
two filmmakers that, you know, the Coen brothers, like now they're all over the map when it comes to genre, you know, sometimes they do a comedy, sometimes they do a Western, sometimes they do a comedy Western, sometimes they do a gangster movie, but they have, they're another, they're, they're another one that has like a visual style, you know, that you can definitely recognize right away when you're watching one of their movies, but the story, you know, they're the, just the genres are just all over the map. So wh- whether you like the new Coen Brothers movie or not depends on whether you're interested in the the material, you know? Like, Oh, did you what see uh, what Criterion is putting out in February? Probably Miller's not. Miller's Crossing. Well, yeah. It doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised there aren't more uh, Coen Brothers movies on Criterion. Well... Yeah. Fox owns Raising Arizona, and Disney owns Fox. Right. And yeah. they've got Barton um, Fink out. Yeah, I have that. That's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. So. Yeah. yeah. My, uh, uh, how did he do with... Usually, he films his movies like an anthology movie. How was it that he actually how was his first attempt at actually directing an anthology movie well i mean you know like i said there there were very few surprises um there are very few surprises in in movies nowadays like like when you you know when you're familiar with a director uh and all like all anthology movies nowadays seem to be influenced by you know by pulp fiction obviously that was the that was the indie darling that set off this whole idea of time shifting and anthology stories you know and and uh and linking characters from one story to the other whether it be you know a direct link from two stories that are taking place at the same time or as we've discussed before with tarantino like uh you know having characters uh you know, related to each other throughout centuries based on the, you know, names in his movies. Um, I think Wes Anderson first started that. I'm fairly certain that it, that the book that, uh, that gets taken out of the library in Rushmore, that's all about marine biology, I think is supposed to be written by Steve Zuzu from the life aquatic, which was, yeah, I believe I, I that that wasn't his next movie. The Royal Tenenbaums was his next movie, but then he did The Life Aquatic. So, um, so yeah, boy, this would be the perfect uh, perfect night tonight. Uh, you know, uh, talking about Wes Anderson, and, th- and then we're gonna talk about our next subject. And uh, I know this is very rare and unusual for our Wednesday night podcast, but guess who's home tonight? <laughs> Oh, it was uh, his idea the for the show. It was his idea she's for in the, the show. She made, he made she's in the me bedroom do it. Right now. Yeah, she she's in the bedroom the right now. She's going to come in and kill you. You might see, a, you might <laughs> yep. hear a murder in the air tonight. But for all I know, she what, she's on her phone listening to the podcast right now in the other room, sharpening a knife. <laughs> but <laughs> right. two, I got uh, three good ones. Two. Took three good ones this week. Uh, two that were in Black Friday's Blu-ray spells. Shit, and that's the only reason I got it. One, one was F9. 
F9 is reaching to the point where you know what you're going to get, and if you like that, come and get it. Right. Complaining about the silliness and over-the-topness of F9 is like going to watch Deep Throat and complaining about all the sex in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like all of those movies. I, I They're just kind of ridiculous. But, yeah, exactly. You know what you're getting into, you know. And like, I got a bit. I haven't. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I haven't seen F9, but isn't that the one where they drive the cars into space? Yeah, they finally go to space. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. I remember Vin Diesel making a joke about it like a few years back, and then it actually – like I said, I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen the previews, and it does appear to show cars flying through space. So (laughs) Yeah, it's worth $10. That's all I got to say. Yeah. All right. And I got uh, Ben Wheatley's new one, Into the Void. I haven't seen that yet, but I want to save that for a special night when I went in the mood to watch a Ben Wheatley film. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Ben Wheatley uh, is my, uh, who directed the French Dispatch? Oh, Ben Wheatley is my Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you make <laughs> the is. same weird-ass movie over and over again. I will watch it. <laughs> yeah, he's made some interesting movies. But, again, like, even though his he, does, he doesn't work in very, like, all of his movies are thematically linked, you know? Like, they all have the same, uh, you know, same kind of, they, they deal with the same kind of strange issues, you know, that it's like, same thing with like David Lynch, you know, it's like his movies are, are not all the same, but they all have a lot of the same themes, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, whereas. Theme. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. That's what they always say. Lynchian. This movie's very Lynchian. (laughs) I, I actually was watching a movie one day with somebody who, who was, was like hidden. It was a movie they had never seen, and they were like, "This movie's very Lynchian." And I was like, "Well, David Lynch directed it." (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Oh, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, I haven't seen that, and I got that and ready. So I got a good film to really wash the taste out of the bad movie we will be watching next (laughs) week. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy yeah, yeah we get to see I, Glenn Danzig uh, try to make his movie and come out looking like a horny 12 year old who's just seen big boobies for the first time <laughs> yeah well he's always kind of struck me as that type of dude like you know for a fact when when Danzig was a kid he had like Boris Viejo posters all over his wall you know <laughs> like yeah um, uh, I'm sure of it. <laughs> oh, and, uh, yeah, and speaking of that, uh, the Spine of Night hits pay-per-view next week, or it hit it, it hits it Friday. Right. Yeah, and that's the rotoscoped one that's basically a love note to uh, Fire and Ice. Right. Yeah. I don't... I mean, I appreciate 
the artwork, but Ralph Bakshi didn't do a lot of films that I really liked that much. I mean, he was a pioneer when it came to, you know, his, like, not just his style, but like you said, like the retroscoping and, you know, he, he, he thought he didn't necessarily invent a lot of new techniques, but he innovated a lot of older techniques in new and interesting ways that, especially for the eighties were pretty shocking, you know? Well, let's bring it up that uh, I think it was this month or last month, uh, Prince the Cat and Nine Lies the Prince the Cat came out, and no one gave a shit. You know, I, I like Prince the Cat, but it's one of those that's so of its moment that you can't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, it's hard to to weigh whether or not you know uh you know whether or not it's a you have to decide whether it's a ralph Bakshi movie or uh you know our crumb movie and i think that's where the division comes where it doesn't really find an audience because you know it Bakshi altered the story enough from the actual fritz the cat comics that the the crumb fans didn't like it but then people who weren't crumb fans just found it weird and off putting that, you know, talking cat who has yeah. sex and you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Well, back then yeah, they so. were uh, taking what you used to get to a podcast <laughs> and lighting them up in the movie theaters and watching movies while doing it. So of course <laughs> the cat is gonna be a beautiful, amazing work of art when you're stoned. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I guess. Yeah. But some of what you missed out on last week before we get to the main topic. Uh, what did you think of the Medved Brothers books? Uh, Fifty Worst Films and Golden Turkey Awards and uh, Son of the Golden Turkey Awards. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the most part, like the funny thing is, and you know, I'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into the main topic, but the funny thing is like, anytime I find a book that, that talks about obscure movies or cult films or any stuff like that, you know, it, it always just compels me to go and watch the movies. You know, it doesn't, it, you can't really do anything to talk me out of wanting to watch a really terrible movie, you know? So a lot of those books, along with like Psychotronic and Phantom of the Videoscope, those books and magazines, you know, really just led me towards like bad and bizarre movies, you know. So, I mean, anything's a great resource. Those books, you know, the fact that uh, that there's more than one of them, it's like the one thing that I miss about Psychotronic is, you know, at least like they eventually put out the two psychotronic books so even if you didn't have all the magazines you still had all the reviews you know so you now, know, I Weldon's like, a I good like guy things. but 9-11 broke him yeah I don't know but, I'm still and, friends with him uh, but I don't know Yeah, he's too. way more focused he's way more focused on, on the store now that's for sure yeah on the music uh Mm-hmm. And what did you think of It Came From Hollywood, the Dan Aykroyd-produced uh, first movie about bad movies? Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
I don't know if like uh, Dan Aykroyd, like uh, I don't know if he's like really an authority on, you know. But yeah, it had. Let's see, it had John Candy. It had uh, introduced the movies. It had uh, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Gilda Radner. Uh, Cheech and Chong. Right. But yeah, again, it's one of those movies like we always talk about whenever we see, uh, you know, I, I mean, I can see how a movie like that would be of of interest to someone who was just getting into like bad movies or, uh, you know, underground flicks or whatever, B movies, D movies, whatever you want to call them, you know, but, uh, but yeah, um, it's the same as like whenever we talk about the movies that are always make it onto the list of every, you know, uh, most disturbing films of all time. That that's the, that's the way I feel about a, a lot of, uh, it came from Hollywood is, you know, a lot of it, they're movies that you and I already know everything about anyway, you know, but it would be a good starter kit for someone who isn't familiar with a lot of these old movies, you know, but, uh, yeah. I think out of, that, out of that whole movie, out of uh, that whole movie, boy. I think there is only one movie I had never seen. And the problem with it is, is uh, you're not going to be able to find it because it's in copyright hell because of trying to get all of the rights to all of the movies and all of the clips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the sad thing about, uh, you know, uh, the way contracts were designed, you know, a lot of future mediums weren't really, you know, they weren't expected, you know, like most, most television was invented to, you know, was designed to be shown on television. And then, you know, movies were designed to be shown in movie theaters. And that was that there, the whole second run market didn't really happen initially. And, remember obviously when television first started to pick up steam movie theaters were terrified that they were going to lose all their uh, patrons because everyone was just going to stay home and watch tv which obviously didn't happen i mean it's more of a thing now when with so many options for how to watch stuff you don't you know now is when movie theaters should be afraid because if i can pay the same amount to watch it from the comfort of my own home for a brand new movie i sometimes will you know like if I really want to see a movie, but I don't like, I I'm kind of like when, when it comes to movies, you know, I kind of pick and choose what I want to see on the big screen. You know, like if I know it's going to be visually stunning, I'll go see it on the big screen. If I know it's just going to be a fun movie, but I don't really care, you know, about seeing it on the big screen. I'll just watch it at home. I mean, yeah, I have a nice, I have, I have a nice setup here. (laughs) And uh, about this time, isn't it about, uh, uh, 89 to 90, 88, 89 to 90, that uh, KTMA season of uh, topic, which is we're going to talk about the Joel years and the movie. Uh, uh, wasn't that about uh, 89, 90 when season zero came out? Uh 1988, 1989, yeah. So it was it was one of those years. Yeah, it was at late 80s. Yeah. 
Yeah, so. and back then they didn't know anything about what they're doing, which is pretty much a big reason why we're not going to get season zero on tape. And it's not because yeah. it's bad. It's just this way. And, yes, they were. this is the season where they were just figuring out how to do this. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's kind of funny to me. Uh, I think I'm going to look something up here real quick. But um, it's kind of funny to me that the legend of, of the show is uh, – <laughs> that they filmed the the first episode and they they showed it on Thanksgiving Day that's the tree of the the show yeah. and it's always been fun, it's always been funny to me that they like you know wandered off that night thinking all right they're going to show our show on Thanksgiving you know and then they come back to the the studio to just like you know hundreds of messages on the machines people saying how much they loved it like I don't know about you, but at my house after Thanksgiving dinner, people usually fall asleep on the couch watching football. Like I can't imagine anyone in my family like flipping through the channels, finding some public access TV show with a bunch of people sitting in front of a TV, <laughs> a movie screen, making fun of a movie and being like, oh, this seems like a good Thanksgiving tradition. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, one of the funniest things uh, was that WCW ever did is that they got the wrestle Jim Cornette, the wrestling manager, and uh, Paul E. Dangerously, another manager, and have and had them take sides during a showing of King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> and in between is like them cutting wrestling promos, like Godzilla could do this, God King Kong could do that. <laughs> Nice. Uh, you were talking about season zero, and yeah, uh, the the um the quality is dubious at best. But there is a website called Club MST3K, mm-hmm. and it's it's all fan based. So if you have a video, uh, a mystery science theater video, you can upload it. And uh, it has pretty much every episode right up till even the newest season with, uh, with Jonah. Um, But like I said, the quality is, you know, it fluctuates depending on, you know. Yeah. Well, you remember for a while. Yeah. That was one of the best things about the torrenting scene when it started was that they you'd get a chance to see obscure shows like uh season the complete season zero and it says right here the fifteen minute presentation they used to sell the show was uh, the green slime, which is a toho right. film, and you do yep. not fuck with toho's rights they will come <laughs> down on you like the wrath of God. <laughs> uh. Well, it is it is here on the uh the the green slime, the pilot is here on Club MST three K, so Yeah, and that's uh, the biggest problem for a lot of these is that because this was the first season, they did not think about the copyright laws. <laughs> right. Well in the first complete think, shown go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I think for the most part, they tried to pick movies that didn't, that were in the public domain for a long, for a long time. Uh, I'm looking at the list and they screwed up big with season zero, (laughs) but we'll get into each one of those. Uh, uh, The very first official episode was Invaders from the Deep. Yep. With Crow and the first appearance of Crow T. Robot. Right. (laughs) I can't. And I don't know if I ever saw that. That's the one thing about uh, a lot of these movies. I never saw them unless I saw them on Mystery Science Theater. Like, you know, like I don't think I'd ever watched Invaders from the Deep before I saw before I saw it on Mystery Science Theater. Uh, and uh, the next episode is Revenge of the Mysterions from Mars, which is another Toho. This is either Toho or Toei, but it was called the Mysterians yeah. before they changed the title. Yeah. Right. So I wonder if, you know, maybe they're maybe they don't have the copyright on that anymore. Maybe the revenge of the maybe they had to change the name so they could maintain the copyright or something. I don't they understand never fully had how the cop, you know. they never had the copyright on any of them. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, the you know, I mean, the Mysterions, like, I wonder if they just shortened the name to that because the cut the actual uh film company lost the rights to to the other title so they well that you know, was the u.s dubs title right yep. and next is star force fugitive alien 2 which i forget the original yeah. title for that one yeah i don't remember but it's definitely not a sequel to fugitive alien they just mash two movies together figuring you know or yeah just put just stuck the name on there so they could say oh yeah it's another fugitive alien movie they just were counting on the fact that you know cheesy special effects and guys in jumpsuits that were asian would be enough to fool people into thinking it was the same series you know (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. you know i mean here is the we're pretty much got uh, three through nine are the titles that brought down the wrath of God on them, and that is mm-hmm. K. Is it that is Gamera versus Baragon? Gamera, Gamera versus Gauss, Gamera versus Zigdan, Gamera versus Gurion, and Phase Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would yeah, love I don't to know see why that they... Phase Four. Just to see what they do with that crazy motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. They. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't seen that one on on TV. Uh, there. We have a couple of different TV channels here that just show. Uh, there's two that just show Mystery Science Theater and uh, one that just shows Riff Tracks. Um, and so, but I don't think they've ever shown that. They mostly. Like they mostly stick to the you know more like middle years you know no you don't see a lot uh, of the old zero, stuff. the only way to get it is on bootleg because they pretty much mm-hmm. had to destroy 
the masters because of the copyright thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we have Cosmic Princess at number 10, Humanoid Woman, Fugitive Alien. They showed the sequel before Fugitive Alien. <laughs> yep. I know. At least, like, a little bit later on in the series, they would show, like, the movie and then its sequel, like, two episodes in a row. Like, you know. And in order. <laughs> Not yeah. part two first, then part one later. No. <laughs> And we have SST Death Flight, which I don't know what it is. It's probably another one of those plane crash movies that came out after Airport. Yep, for sure. It is. I've seen it. (laughs) And Mighty Jack, which sounds like a porno movie title. (laughs) But Mighty Jack is actually another one of those uh star force like fugitive alien type movies it's another oh. like uh yeah it's like another like uh yeah asian uh space flight movie you know i think that's the one mighty jack i think is the one where he's kind of like like the james bond of uh you know of star pilots you know like he's he's always going on these crazy missions and he has this legendary status as you know as a hero and then uh like he gets captured and convinced the people that captured him that he's that he's not bad he's not evil so he can help them save their planet or whatever you know yeah and next (laughs) is uh what the hell was what the hell was superdome that sounds like a football (laughs) movie superdome in color. <laughs> yeah. And then we have City City on Fire, which makes me wonder, is this the Japanese film that Tarantino ripped off? Or was it the Canadian movie with uh, uh, Stacey Keach's brother as a security guard fighting uh, Robert Carradine in a building? <laughs> Well, yeah, City on Fire, uh, I believe the one that they watched was the one from the 70s. Um, If that's the case, then that one probably would have gotten him into some trouble, too, because that was written by Jack Hill. Uh, And so... And it's now, and yeah, and the 17th episode is Time of the Apes. That was the first episode of Mystery Science Theater I ever saw, was Time of the Apes. So, of course, this would have been back when they were still showing those episodes on TV, because this would have been when I was in college. So, this was probably before they had to destroy all those I mean, yeah. they still show time of they still show time of the apes sometimes on TV. So they must have done it again in another season, mm-hmm. like a later season. Yeah, they did it and, again in season three. Yeah. yeah, and eighteen is the million eyes of Sumaru. Sumaru. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. It's the. Uh, <laughs> it's just from reading the summary of it, it sounds like the dude from. Uh, 
the Buddy Lebowski got caught up in the spy movie this time. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's, uh, <laughs> but her, uh, her with the, the her her plan for world domination is just to replace all male uh world leaders with women that's <laughs> that's the plan I, I, I believe that's the i believe that's the baseline of her plan she's like if we can just replace all the male politicians in the world all the male world leaders with women then we can bring peace to the world and it'll be all mine <laughs> uh yeah. And after that is one I'm shocked they got because this one is a bitch. Uh, sun, chick, sun classics are a motherfucker about the rights, and that's Hangar 18. Yeah. Yeah, I have it. Uh, that movie, man, that was such a weird, weird movie. Like, I, I guess now that I'm, you know, older and, you know, I've, know so much more about like you know ufo conspiracies and everything you know i now i guess i would have a better understanding of it if i watched it now but back then i was just like what (laughs) what's going on the original title of it was uh area 51 and then the government went no 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 (laughs) change the title You know, the guy, the men in black basically showed up and convinced him to change the movie's title. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because you remember, this is still during the time where Area 51 doesn't exist. Right. Uh, Yeah. We went from Area 51. Area 51 to Hangar 18. We went from Area 51 doesn't exist back then to last year when a bunch of people were like, let's go storm Area 51 and prove what's going on in there once and for all. Click, click. Uh, Fuck this shit. Let's get out of here. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, something tells me that wouldn't have gone very well, but hey, you know. (laughs) Hey, the guys have gotten some good target practice. Up on the fence, right. pop, pow, pow, pow. There goes the stupid idiots now. <laughs> and next is the last chase. If that's the one that I think it is, that's got what's his name from, uh, ah, damn it, the $6 million man, Lee Majors. Oh, yeah. Lee Majors, right? With the last car that runs because they do not like cars that run on gasoline. Those are illegal. <laughs> yeah, it had uh it had um Lee Majors in it and uh Burgess Meredith was in that movie too. Yeah. Um but yeah. Uh and we're at the end of season zero with the legend of dinosaurs. That sounds like a retail because <laughs> I don't know it. And now Here's the big thing that happened between season zero and season one. Uh, someone who works in uh, at Comedy Central caught it, and they were so desperate for product that people forget how much let's throw shit against the wall and see what sticks the Comedy Central was when it first started out. 
Yeah, that's funny that you say that because, um, like I mentioned, this uh, Club MST3K website, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times people have uploaded like videos from, uh, you know, actual videotapes that they have left over from when they used to tape the show. And so a lot of times they'll still have the commercials in them from Comedy Central. And yeah, like back then it was like, you know, they do like, they they were tr- really trying for stand-up comedy, I think, more than anything. They really wanted to make it like a hub, yeah. like a stand-up well, comedy Well, what they hub. would do is but, they would have these shows of hosts like the Higgins Boys and Gruber, where they would get to talk for five minutes, do a five-minute skit, and then they would cut the clips of comedians. Yep. <laughs> or they used to do a lot of just like, yeah, they do like compilation shows where they just take a bunch of comedians live performances and instead of showing the whole like half hour, they would just cut out two minutes of it and slap it with the five minutes from someone else's set and five minutes and three minutes here and put together like a half hour show and they'd be, oh, this yeah. is the comedy connection or something, you know, uh, welcome to the comedy connection. And that <laughs> Joel and the guys were kind of pissed off because they had in their contract that uh, Comedy Central could not show episodes from season one because they thought that they were horrible at it. Yeah, right. (laughs) But Comedy Central went, okay, we'll sign it. Bullshit. Right. That's what really started the relationship with Comedy Central. The first official episode, which I didn't see after season one really run, and I was starting to watch it then, is The Crawling Eye with <laughs> the a big giant eye. eyeball. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was one of those movies that, uh, you Deserved know, it. I actually remember, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the, like, before Mystery Science Theater was ever a thing, you know, uh, me and my brothers used to watch like the Creature Double Feature and, you know, Kung Fu Theater and stuff. That's where we saw a lot of those old movies. But uh, yeah, I remember that one being one that we would, that, and there were a couple other ones, the Attack of the Giant Leeches and the Killer Shrews were other ones that we, uh, would make fun of when they came on and that was before mystery science theater was a thing, but we pretty much mystery yeah. science theater, those movies. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and two is the robots versus the Aztec mummy. And, the, and it has them. I don't know why they did this in season one. I liked it better when they switched over to shorts, but the first season had them do, Commando Cody, Rocket Man from Outer Space, and they did like all twelve episodes. Yeah, uh, that's they did the same thing, uh, or yeah, they, they. I don't remember if it was them or or Riff Tracks, but they did the same thing with the first Batman serial, and uh, that was Riff Tracks. Everyone's. <laughs> Every once in a while on Saturday, they'll just show the entire thing, like every episode, one right after the other. So you're watching like, you know, three straight hours of Batman shorts from, you know, <laughs> yeah. The worst thing is I actually have a box set that has those Batman shorts without the riff tracks 
on it. So it's like <laughs> I could watch that any time I, I wanted to. <clears throat> it does. It is pretty horrible, though. Uh, yeah, and we have 103, which is part two of the Commando Cody serial, and Mad Monster. <laughs> Are there any monsters that aren't mad? I mean, even Frankenstein's monster gets mad later in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, excuse me. <laughs> and a lot, and 104 is another one where basically. It has a short and women of the prehistoric planet. <laughs> uh, that that like is so it so shows like the uh the kind of like weird mindset that filmmakers were in in that era, you know, they needed something that was you know, it's like Ed Wood says it best when he talks about how he came to make plan nine from outer space is he got the church to donate that money and he convinced them if you make a, a movie in a, in an established, established genre, then that makes you enough money to go off and make whatever movie you want next, you know? And, uh, and that actually like, is good advice. Yep, it is. But I think women of the prehistoric planet kind of shows, uh, you know, the kind of ideas that people had when they were shopping around for money and they'd just be like, look, I got this idea. Uh, you know, it's going to be like, uh, you know, it's going to be like a time travel outer space, half nudie movie, <laughs> you know, like yeah. just throw in a, just throw in a bunch of different stuff that sells and we'll see if we can make a movie out of it, you know? And here's the corpse vanishes. I think this is uh, the first uh, Jet, uh, Bela Lugosi film they have on MST3K. Right. But, yeah, they, they worked their way through uh, through Bela Lugosi for a while. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, uh, one of my favorite episodes, 106, The Crawling Hand. That was hilarious. Stand still. Right. I am slowly crawling to kill you. Please don't move. I can't kill you if you move. Now, I've always wondered if that movie uh, inspired the movie The Hand, you know? Uh, uh, wasn't that... Well, didn't Oliver, Oliver Stone had something... Yeah, Oliver Stone directed yeah, The Oliver Hand, right? Stone yeah. Had, yeah, Oliver Stone had... Uh, there was the hand, uh, the hands of Orlac. Uh, and you got, and if you like the birds, the words, you'll get the, here it is about four or five times in this movie. Seems like every jukebox <laughs> in that movie, in the crawling hands town, the only sound that's a song that's ever on the jukebox is the birds, the word. Maybe Seth MacFarlane is a huge fan of that movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's been using that song a lot in Family Guy the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and 107 is Robot Monster. Hey, that's the one with the guy in the gorilla suit and the diving helmet. Awesome. <laughs> yep. Yeah. See, now that movie has always baffled me, like, as to how did that 
movie get made like that had to have been completely self-financed there's no way that anyone involved with that movie went to any anyone with money and said hey give us yeah. some money so i can make this movie you know? William one shot bodine what happened was he needed a robot monster for his movie and he had a friend he's like i've only got a diver's helmet that looks like a robot but what else do you have? I got a gorilla suit. Okay, put them together. That'll be a robot monster. But it's a gorilla suit. Shut up. They don't care. Well, it is a robot monster. So, you know, it's half yeah. robot, half monster, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, um, that goes along with what we've talked about before, though. You know, the... Robert Rodriguez saying, you know, when he was making El Mariachi, he's like, well, I got a turtle and I got a guitar case, so I'm definitely putting those in my movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, this guy was like, well, I got a I got a, a fishbowl that looks kind of like a, a diver's helmet that kind of looks like a robot and a monkey costume, so how about that? Yeah. And here we got 108 to find people. One of the first movies that... If you watch it on MST3K, you're going to think that it's crap. But if you actually get to see it without the 15 and 20 minutes they had to cut it out to fit in their two-hour slot with commercials and the short, it's actually a pretty good, creepy little movie. Right? Yeah. um, I know that in some instances... They had to edit things out of movies because it was, wasn't, was you know, like, I mean, I guess, like I noticed, uh, I can't remember what season they did it, but Squirm, when they did Squirm, they cut out the most famous scene when uh, when the, the hick dude there falls face down in the boat and comes up with all the worms gnawing at his face. Yeah. You know? Oh, we, they, we, I had the director on the earlier show with Carl, and he said the truth about that is, is what pissed him off about MST3K doing Squirm is they didn't pay him for the rights to show the movie. Right. He He's like, once I got paid, I was fine with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, um, I know lots of people who, you know, you know, it's the same thing with like Weird Al, you know, like a lot of people kind of consider it a, you know, a badge of honor to have, you know, MST3K make funnier movies, you know? I mean, that's the thing that I think is, you know, it it was, they got innovative, you know, the guys got innovative with riff tracks when they came up with the idea that, hey, we don't have to have the rights to the movie. We can make fun of any movie we want, just put the audio online, and then we can sell the audio. You just have to have the movie already, you know? Yeah. That's not, that's not a bad, that's not a bad idea, but it's in recent years, it seems to have lent itself more to them making fun of like big blockbuster movies, you know, like. Yeah, the stuff they didn't want to touch with MST3K. That was one of Joel's rules is that they don't do good movies on the show. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And And then uh, we have Project Moonbase and another Commando Cody (laughs) episode. I have that Project Moonbase uh, on some, like, promo DVD. Like, I think it was before they were actually putting out uh, 
mystery science theater box sets on DVD and they were just testing the waters. So they yeah. sent out like some promo, like promo DVDs. It doesn't even have any artwork or anything. It just says, you know, mystery science theater project moon base. And it's just stuck in a little uh, plastic sleeve. <laughs> yeah. And because of rights issues, that's why you've never had season sets come out. Right. Yeah. They yeah every every box set was always like uh, three random movies or um, they uh, did put out one knows? box set that was go, go ahead they 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 put out one box set that was all the short all the short films in one box set but yeah. that was the closest they ever came to compiling everything you know but uh, usually their box sets are uh, two Joel two Mike and uh a special and a special set like shorts bloopers history right and next is robot holocaust this movie is so bad that you didn't give a damn that they cut it up to make it fit <laughs> right <laughs> well that's what i was going to say before though is uh it it always it I understand why they cut out certain parts of movies uh, to make it fit into the time frame, but whenever they cut out or they cut out, I understand why they cut out certain parts of movies because they weren't appropriate for television, but I never understood why they cut out parts of movies and then stuck a short at the beginning. Like, you know, like why did not just show the entire movie? You that know, was like, a comedy yeah. central. Remember they were still short obsessed. It's like, so we do these shorts. And once we get enough of them, we could start a half-hour. Remember, they used to have, like, Saturday was the two-hour show. Then on Sunday, they would have the Butchered with a Cuisinart one-hour show. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, my my least favorite thing about, and I understand that, you know, uh, you know, Joel came from his background was in uh, prop comedy. So I understand that he wanted to bring some of that element to the TV show. But um, the whole, the uh, the skits, they don't really do much for me that often. I mean, sometimes. Oh, the invention ones, exchange. Yeah. And that, that kind of stuff, like uh, the little skits in between when they, you know, they have to leave the theater for a few minutes and goof around and then go back to the theater. Like, I don't know. Some of those are funny, but a lot of them are just ridiculously pointless. You know, like they they honed in a little bit more like they reined it in a little like in the Mike years and the Jonah years where they started making the sketches geared more towards the movie that they were actually watching at the time. Yeah. Uh, Joel dabbled in that a little bit, but for the most part, he just writes sketches about whatever he wanted to write about, you know? Yeah. And next is Moon Zero Two. Uh, This is the one by the rug. This is, I think, the first. This one's a 90s film, ain't it? Moon Zero Two? Uh, I don't think so. I think think that's an old 50s movie. Moon Zero Two was from, from, from like the 60s. Yeah. Um, is that the one where the guy, I, I'm trying to think, uh, 
I thought it might have been the guy. Um, there was a movie, I can't remember what it was called now, but it was about like some guys that crash landed on a planet and uh, they found out that they were on a planet of like uh, of tiny little aliens. Um, and then they finally find a way to get home. Planet and of Lumpas. <laughs> one of the aliens decides no they're even smaller than that uh they're like you know the size of like an old gi joe action figure not like the 60 <laughs> ones that were like balls either but like but yeah, they're like tiny oh, uh, but yeah, yeah one one of the one of the astronauts decides he doesn't want to go back to earth because he's like a god with uh, with these tiny little people to control but his friend won't let him stay <laughs> And here's untamed youth, two hitchhiking sisters are sentenced to 30 days in a cotton farm ran by the corrupt country county government. I'm sorry, but the opening to untamed youth where it has uh, Jerry Lee Lewis in the back of a pickup truck doing 80 down the road while he's playing the fucking title song of the movie. That's just badass. (laughs) Well, you know. Jerry Lee Lewis was known for uh, his energetic antics when he played piano. So, you know, they were just like, how can we make this even more exciting? He's already going to jump around and freak out. Hey, let's put him on a vehicle. Yeah. That's one of the better credit sequences I've seen because it doesn't stop the movie because it's during the fucking movie, you know. (laughs) Right. And the last yeah. episode of uh, season one is, even this cut version and them riffing on it, the black scary little fucking movie. Sitting those yeah, scorpions just definitely... tear mother fathers apart. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I actually stumbled upon that when uh, I had never seen that movie before. And I had ne- it it's still one of the hardest episodes of Mystery Science Theater to find. But... Uh, I, when Blockbuster was going, actually it might not have even block, might have been front row video. That's how long ago this was, but they were going out of business and they had all their movies for sale. And at the time I was really into, you know, Godzilla movies. So I saw the black scorpion and I was like, well, this looks like a movie about a giant creature. So I'll check it out. And you're right. It, it, it takes itself pretty seriously. It's not, you know, it's not like a goofy giant monster movie or anything. It's pretty badass. Yeah. yeah. And now we're on the season two and the first appearance of TV Frank. That's another film people don't talk about is how the first season had an assistant, uh, uh, an assistant mad, different assistant mad scientist. Right. And the whole setup with the thing. Really, if you look at all the seasons in a whole, including zero, one is the one that doesn't fit. Right. They hadn't really put everything together yet. So. Yeah. And the first season of season 201 with the first appearance of TV's prank is uh, Rocket Ship XN. With new set, new intro, the one that we are used to. Yep. Yeah, and uh, let's see, that was, uh, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think Rocket Ship XM was the first uh, 
film produced by Lippert Pictures that they made fun of, and that became an ongoing theme throughout the series that I don't know who this Lippert guy is, but whenever his name pops up in the credits of any movie, Joel and the robots all go, ah, not a Lippert. <laughs> Make well, Logitech XM Uncut is boring as... Yeah. They take like yeah. the, almost the whole fucking movie to get to Mars. Yep. Two oh two, one of my favorites, and that's Side Hackers. Yeah, I yeah, I had never seen that episode before until recently, and I didn't really had, know what to expect. Yeah. You know. It has the best shadow I mean, gag of the whole movie. Which is towards the end, and the bad guy pulls the gun out and points it at the camera, and they scream, <laughs> right? "Holy crap, Doc!" And you see him dive. But yeah, I had, like I said, I had not seen that movie ever before, and I hadn't seen the Mystery Science Theater episode until the last couple of years, and. uh I didn't know what to expect. I just saw the title, Side Hackers. And, you know, of course, in the parlance of our times, hacking has to do with, like, computers, you know. But I was like, well, they do enough sci-fi and, you know, 80s movies on here that it could easily be, like, a 80s computer hacker movie. No. No, Side Hackers is a, rotor, a motorcycle racing movie, guys. And uh, <laughs> apparently, apparently well, the Side Hackers... everybody hacker, gets killed at the end of the movie. right but apparently side hacking is when you jump off the side of you have a two people on a motorcycle the guy in the front obviously driving and the guy in the back jumps off either to the left or to the right and pulls the bike in that direction apparently in an effort to help you turn corners faster or something yeah i never really understood i never really understood the physics behind it and that is one of the more forgettable episodes of season three, two, uh, Jungle Goddess. Yeah, I don't know. I have a copy of that movie, I think, on a Mystery Science Theater imprint that I've watched like one time, <laughs> you know, but I don't, I, a lot of times I have to be in the mood for certain, uh, episodes of mst3k you know like a lot of times i'll i'll turn it on and it will be uh you know uh like a jungle movie or something and i'll be like eh, don't care but uh jungle goddess i think is probably best as an as a standalone movie not as an episode of mystery science theater but um i think things the one thing that people would remember about it if they ever saw it was that it had uh george reeves the original superman in it he was uh yeah. he was the main character yeah and it started uh them doing uh the phantom creeps with bella lugosi and that cool ass robot yeah. Yeah. which uh rob <laughs> zombie uses in his live set yeah <laughs> That's probably Next the original one. one voted by the fans, one of the top 20 episodes, and that's uh, Catalina Caper. <laughs> Catalina Caper. Yeah. Uh, 
Now, see, those are the types of movies that I like it. I love it when they make fun of, like, 70s, uh, you know, like, crime flicks, you know. Uh, that's that's always – I always like that the best. Like, and uh, Catalina Caper actually is <laughs> – even if they weren't making fun of it, you'd still be, you'd still have to wonder like what drugs these people were on when they made this movie. If you were just, if you were just watching this uh, alone, like no mystery science theater, you'd be like, what the fuck were these people on when they made this movie? I mean, it it, like the, the plot is so convoluted for some, for people that are just trying to get their hands on, you know, some money and, there's a beach party with little Richard at it. Like <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was a rip off of what AIP doing was with doing with the beach movies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even the, like I have the mystery science theater version of this on DVD somewhere too. And even the artwork for the poster, uh, the original poster artwork is definitely like they're going for that same, like AIP look, uh, any of those, um, those movies that were coming out around that time that were, uh, any, anything that took place on a jungle Island, you know, like all those movies that have that same, like basic artwork on the front, same lettering, same style, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And next is one of my favorite movies to watch without them riffing. And that's rocket attack USA. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> I have it on the something weird DV, uh, atomic war uh, DVD they put out. It comes with Rocket Attack USA and uh, uh, what is the second one on there? Damn it! Oh, Red Alert, I think. But oh. yeah. yeah, Red Alert. Yep. Yeah, Rocket Attack USA. Uh, it has the, uh, I mean, it has such a basic plot to it. I mean, a spy goes to Russia to, or I guess the then Soviet Union, to steal some plans. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it has a has a pretty basic plot to it, but it is a it is a really well done movie. Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing, you know, is a lot of a lot of what. Uh, when you know when these guys riff on a movie a lot of the things they make fun of are you know stilted acting which you know still happens today you know acting isn't isn't art form not everybody's good at it you know but it was more common back then uh because you know speak people spoke more properly you know so when they played a character who who had a who had a weird accent, which they had no problem faking back then, you know, fake an accent, whatever, you know, it wasn't like nowadays where people are talking about, you know, whitewashing the live action version of ghost in the shell or something like that. You know I mean? Yeah. But, uh, they had Nate played by a black comedian. That's <laughs> diversity. <laughs> Actually might work for my act. And me, I'm being played by a half Mexican tonight, and not a white person like most people think. <laughs> but next is Ring of Terror. I haven't seen this episode. 
And if it's one that I haven't seen this episode or even heard about before, it must be a bad one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was. Uh, yeah, what? How, how does Ring of Terror go? Um, a singly oh, fearless college kid must steal a ring to dead man to join a fraternity. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say that's the one. It's uh, yeah, a frat frat boy. He has to yeah steal a dead man's ring. Yep, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> Why don't they call it dead man's ring? That sounds like a lot catchier title than the Ring of Terror. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, one thing that I think is funny about that is it's one of the first movies. I mean, historically, that I can think of, you know, obviously, I've seen thousands of movies in my life and not necessarily in chronological order. But this is one of the first movies I can think of that probably chronologically in art in film history uh, was one of the first movies that had like 30 something actors playing, you know, high school and college students, <laughs> you know, yeah, like these people are obviously Speaking not in of... college. You know? Next film is Wild Rebels. There's your people in your 20s and 30s acting like your teens. <laughs> right. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. I I always like that movie, though. Like, uh, Mystery Science Theater or not, you know, like that movie is they, like... Yeah, they had good like, taste in biker movies. It's weird. <laughs> The the thing I like about that is it it def that movie definitely goes with the Robert Rodriguez method of whatever you've got throw it in a movie because like like that that bar that they hang out at quote unquote yeah. bar it's supposed to be like their clubhouse bar type of place like that's yeah. just some abandoned shack in the middle of nowhere that they just threw a bunch of crap from someone's garage in they're like cool it's a biker bar hangout spot. <laughs> Yeah. And next is Lost Continent, another one of the, and you won't believe how many they were, a, per, a man looks for something that crashes at the top of a remote mountain, and only to find out that it's a dinosaur-infested jungle. <laughs> right. I've seen yeah. like 50 or 60 movies of that exact plot line itself. Well, I, I think there's like an, you know, an overall uh, arch to the timing of those movies. I mean, you got to think about at the time we were just starting to experiment with like, uh, you know, long range missiles and satellites. And but there was still, you know, like while we were here at home developing all these new technologies, there were parts of the world that still had never been seen by, you know, by a white man. So all of a sudden, you know, the two ideas started to collide. Like, oh, what if we, you know, I mean, that's still a, it's still a trope that exists nowadays. We lost one of our new satellites in the jungle. We need you and your men to go out there and find it, you know? Like, isn't that, the, wasn't that the plot of Predator? What, what were they looking for no, in Predator? No, they were, in Predator, they were looking for a, a missing diplomat who crossed on the wrong, who crashed on the wrong side of the border. Oh, yeah, that's right, because when they find him, they kill all the people that he's with, and then he's like, those people were my friends. 
Whoopsies. Mm-mm. But yeah, I mean, I, uh, but yeah, I think that, you know, I think that kind of like feeds into it. I think, you know, like people started thinking things like that, like, oh, well, what if we had this top secret missile and, you know, we, a, a plane crashed in the jungle and we, you know, we had to go and get this missile before the Russians find it or whatever, you know? And, and so they have to go into the jungle and then because the jungle is still unexplored territory, it's always right for things like, you know, monsters or savages or, you know, dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. And next yeah. is 209 the Hellcat. Do you remember what running gag uh, started with the Hellcats? No. Them going, oh, God, it's a Crown International picture. <laughs> I love Hellcats. I have a Hellcats t-shirt. I love that movie. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but still, that was the first one from Crown International they showed. Right, and again, another biker flick. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Next is uh, King Dinosaur. Yeah, I never really understood that movie because it's like it's a it's like a western with a dinosaur in it. Right. Yeah, like, like the Valley of Guanji. <laughs> yeah, right. It's another one like that. It's like, uh, right? Isn't that? Or it's. Oh, I think it only seems like it's a western because they travel to like another planet, and the planet is like back in like not quite prehistoric times, but still like frontier days. But there, there are dinosaurs. Oh, was it and, supposed to be a reference to King Kong? I don't know. Next <laughs> is First Spaceship on Venus. <laughs> Another one of those yeah. do not use the bomb or you'll die movies, scare movies. <laughs> and then we're going to close right. out the season with, this is really the first two episodes I can, without blinking, tell you that this these two are part of the reasons you will never get full season set. And that's Godzilla versus Megalon and Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Yeah, that's too bad because Godzilla versus Megalon is my favorite Godzilla movie. I like Godzilla versus King Kong a lot too, but Godzilla versus Megalon is my favorite of all the Godzilla movies. It has Jet Jaguar, (laughs) which is always one of my favorite things. Anybody who's never seen it, even if you can't find the Mystery Science Theater version, you should just watch the movie. It's it's definitely the you know when when uh, the studio started leaning more towards like you know Kitty Fair, they were trying to get yeah. kids more interested in, in Godzilla. And, well, you know, Jet the Jaguar of, like, was yeah. uh, the same suit as Ultraman, just used in a different yeah. movie. Yeah. And now we're on season three, and uh, they did Gamera again. That's the second book. 301 and 303 is two of the fans' favorite episodes. Cave Dweller, the sequel to Athwar Defying Eagle, and Pod People. <laughs> Pod People. In color. No. <laughs> uh that yeah. one just seemed to be one of the ones that they just love, love, 
You always hear that when talking about the best episodes that pod people. Yeah. Uh, now, was, was that version of the pod people, was that also based on the same novel as Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Was that like... The, no, no. That was an... E, it know, was basically an E.T. ripoff if E.T. had a body count behind him. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was just thinking of because uh, you know, like you know, the the movie John Carpenter's The Thing is a remake of The Thing from Another Planet. So I, you know, but if they're both they're based on the same source material. You know, yeah. I don't. The Thing is not John Carpenter's The Thing is definitely not a remake of Thing from Another Planet. That's for sure. You know. Oh, and here's some weird. We got uh. Two remakes and stranded in the space. Uh, astronaut lands up on a bad version of Earth and tries to return home. <laughs> stranded in space. Yeah, yeah. the two remakes are uh, Gamera versus Battlegon and yep. Time of the Apes. Yep, and again, I said, like, Time of the Apes was the first episode that I ever saw, and, uh, Anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, you should know it is definitely just a straight-up ripoff of Planet of the Apes, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, yeah, a woman and two children really... take refuge in site cryogenic capsules, only to wake up as fugitives in a world produced, populated by animal anthropomorphic apes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, the only difference is what they uh, they meet another human, and uh, and he takes him back to his house to feed him and clean him up and stuff. And he has a little like pet ape that's <laughs> you know like a pet monkey that helps him around the house. But because it's the you know ape times, he can talk and everything. So uh, <laughs> that that always seemed like a very bizarre little relationship yeah. to me like and, you know yeah and here and here is even the movie sucks is about beatniks drag racing daddy-o is just a great title for the movie daddy-o <laughs> right <laughs> and yeah. here's two and, more that i know is the reason why we won't get season set <laughs> gamera versus gauss and the amazing colossal man Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much more money the studios are wringing out of those old Gamera movies, but The Amazing Colossal Man, they they still pump out different versions of that on DVD and Blu-ray. I don't know if Gamera, I don't know if Gamera movies have made it to Blu-ray yet. I don't know if there's that much interest. Yeah, Arrow has uh, two sets, the early films. And the modern ones. Right. Yeah, I used to have a like a DVD box set of the of the earlier films, but uh, yeah, I don't know whatever became of that. Like I said, Gamera doesn't interest me as much as some of the other gigantic monster stuff. You know. Uh, yeah. Like it. 
it was well, interesting at first, but again, it leans, it starts to lean towards kids too much, and then it's just kind of ridiculous. Well, I like the Amazing Colossal Man because that's the one where he takes a needle, a gigantic fucking needle, trying to sneak and stab him in the ass, and just impales <laughs> this guy with it like a dart. <laughs> Bird Eye Gordon. I wonder why. Oh, yeah. Bird Eye Gordon. Always good. I, he directed one of the other movies that we were just talking about, too. Um, I mean, he directed a lot of the movies that they made fun of on MST3K, but. Yeah. Um, and here's Fugitive Alien. Yeah. Fugitive Alien. Another going to wonder? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- those are ones like uh, the fugitive alien and uh, oh, the other ones. There was another one we were talking about, like the, those uh, Asian space movies. I'm not sure if they're Japanese. Most likely, considering a lot of the studios that produced those movies were J- Japanese based, Japan based. But yeah, those space movies that were just kind of like essentially trying to capitalize off the success of star Wars or those types of movies. I I don't think star Wars was necessarily around yet, but those movies that were using like the miniature effects and, you know, always like crews traveling through space, maybe more based off of star Trek, I guess, but yeah, but yeah, those, those ones don't really do much for me. I don't know. And here we go with, well, there's it conquered the world which is the one with a giant carrot monster that has no feet and it has Lee Van Cleef in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing that movie for the first time again on like one of those, you know, late night horror movie shows when I was growing up uh, mm-hmm. as a kid. And I remember seeing that and just being like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's the monster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if you saw it in real life, it, it could be terrifying. I mean, it's like definitely like nothing you've ever seen before. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> uh, giant character. And next, I will. Also, we got uh, uh, two more. That's another reason. Frozen Three would be shit if they put out as a, a season set because we got. 312, Gamera versus Gordion, and Mighty Jack, yep. which is taken for an Ultraman Q series. But yep. they have one of the greatest by Bert Iron Garden, which is Earth versus the Spider. Earth versus the Spider, yes. Yeah. He did make some good movies in his career, but he was like, you know, he was just one of those guys who was like, uh, you know, any, just pump out movie after movie after movie, you know. And yeah, give me the check and I'll did, make your damn movie. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't like, you know, Roger Corman was able to pump out so many movies because he had this, you know, the whole idea where like, Oh, well I built this film set. I might as well film three movies this week and just get all, get my money's worth. You know, I'll use the same crew all week and, you know, we'll just bang it all out on these sets. But Bird Eye Gordon just kind of like freestyled it. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of, we have one of the weirdest Roger Corman films ever made. (laughs) Teenage Caveman. (laughs) 
Or you watch, uh, or you watch like two thirds of it, and you're like, "Why are we watching this people fighting in the cave, man? What the fuck? This is a post news movie." <laughs> Time of the caveman, part two. Yeah, it's one of those <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's like one of those. It's like you get stoned on special weed that those that have been mm-hmm. soaked in other substances. And then you decide to write a story about a caveman and then get bored to <laughs> the way and say, fuck it, man, I'm going to make this a fucking post-shoot movie. <laughs> right. He's like, or you're like, you're there with like your writing partner and you're like writing this caveman movie <laughs> and you're both getting really high. And then like halfway through, you're like, oh. Oh, but you know it would be awesome if there was if it was like cavemen after a nuclear war. Yes, yes, write it down, write it down. <laughs> then yeah. they woke up. Then they woke up in the morning, and the you know they the script was probably due that afternoon, and they just had all these <laughs> notes that are like you know caveman nuclear war. <laughs> oh shit, man! How high were we last night? <laughs> And next is uh, Gamera versus Zigra. I would say you could probably fit the season three episodes they could put on DVD on one disc. Yep. And they probably Roger make it a two-disc box set. Yeah. We got Viking Woman versus the Sea Serpent. Yeah, see, those swords and sandals ones don't do anything for me. Like, though, I think those movies make fun of themselves. Like, you know, I never understood the appeal of those movies at all. Like, I mean, they were pretty big back in the 60s, but I don't understand what people saw in them. They're not very interesting to me. Like, yeah. I mean, even the modern swords and sandals epics don't do much for me, you know, like Gladiator and Troy and... You know, probably yeah, the last me, one of those movies. Give me the 80s ones like Conan. Rest in yeah. the lamentation of your enemies. Rape their women. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, Conan. And plus, uh, that second, plus that theme from Conan can make anything that you do badass. You could be like making <laughs> coffee in the morning and put on dun, 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 dun. And it just makes it into something badass. <laughs> you know what theme I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, yeah. 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 And we have another Star Force movie. Yeah. Again, those, like, you know, those Let's Japanese. Let's grab an obscure Japanese movies. television show and just throw two on there. On the screen, and hey, yeah. we got us a movie. Well, that's you know, that's how so much that's how we ended up with so much, uh, like especially in the 80s, like the Japanese cartoons, like Transformers and Voltron. You know, like a lot of that was just you know, crap that they just threw together a bunch of stuff. Uh, even yeah. like the Power Rangers was, you know, the Power Rangers was hacked together from different shows, you know, yeah, I mean. Um, next, we have War of the Colossal Beast. Why is this show so special to uh, MST3K fans? 
Must have been what? The last Joel episode? No, Mr. B Natural. Oh, Mr. B Natural. With the magical pixie who urges an adolescent boy to take up a musical instrument. Oh, yes. Yeah. That became a. a, That became a. Yeah. Uh, become Mr. B a Natural geek. became a running joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, become a bang geek, and the kids will think yeah. you're cool after they beat the crap <laughs> out of you for being a bang geek. <laughs> uh, and plus, this is a sequel to The Amazing Colossal Man. Right. At least they had watched The Amazing Colossal Man before they watched War of the Beast, War of the Colossal Beast. Yeah. And the unearthly, a surgeon, surgeon performs medical experiments on his patients at a remote sanitarium. <laughs> yes, that that seems to be a common theme for old uh, horror movies from the 50s and 60s, too, is the, the doctor who has the, the laboratory where he performs his secret experiments. <laughs> like, was was that a common thing back then? Like... Back in the uh, 60s uh, or It <laughs> must have be. And next is 321 One of the all time favorites Not only on MST3K But in bad movie fans hearts And that is Santa Claus Conquers the Martians <laughs> Yes Another movie that I, I don't understand how it ever got made Like that it's just Pure insanity. I mean, the title says it all. <laughs> you know, you don't. You wouldn't even have to read the synopsis if you were if you were walking in the video store and saw it, and you were like, "Huh, <laughs> I wonder what happens in this movie." No, no, you don't even have to movie. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah, and plus the end song is just so goddamn catchy. All right, for <laughs> Santa Claus. Uh, next is 322 Master Ninja 1 I watched this episode if you want to see the movie where uh, Lee Van Cleef in his old old age plays a ninja master who's teaching (laughs) uh, uh, one of the Van Patten boys how to become a ninja with Shokasugi chasing after them this is your series of choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I actually like that movie. Uh, you know, I mean, you can clearly tell from the when you watch the two parts cuz uh they did the they did Master Ninja 2. Uh I think it was the next episode, but um but yeah, uh Master you can tell it was originally supposed to be a TV series. Like they were trying to make a TV series and you know, they were going to travel around from week to week and get into ninja adventures. But yeah. Yeah. That uh, was a seventies thing, wasn't it? Where you would have like the heroes travel around in a van across the USA and getting into trouble every week. (laughs) Yep. They always got into trouble. And the, in one of them, the young, the young guy always met a girl and, you know, uh, oh yeah, always the same. And what they always had a pet in the Master Ninja movies. They had a hamster that they drove around in. They had a cage in the truck with them with their hamster in it. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't know. And you're wrong. Next 70. isn't Master Ninja Two. It's 
the castle of Fu Manchu. <laughs> With Nicolas Cage? <laughs> no, Cage I wish. That would, yeah, <laughs> that has to be my favorite bit in Grindhouse. With Nicolas Cage is Fu Manchu. And he doesn't even try to, and he just stands there and uses his own voice. Doesn't even try to create a character. <laughs> I am my vengeance. I'll retire. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. then Master Ninja 2 uh, And now we're yeah. up to season 4 uh, Space <clears throat> Travelers Various obstacles Hampers attempts to rescue Three NASA, NASA Astronauts Trapped aboard a crippled space capsule That one and, has Gene Hackman in it right I think so I think that was uh, I think that I think that has Gene Hackman uh um yeah that movie it, it must have been uh inspired by the real life like Apollo 13 mission because it's got the same vibe you know they're trapped in space and they bring the family in to say goodbye to them and all that stuff and it's it's supposed to be very moving, but it's actually, you know, it's the 70s, so it's really more melodramatic. And yeah. Gene, only thing is moving is your bowels or your vomit. <laughs> Gene Hackman chews the scenery in that one, too, because yeah. he, uh, he starts to get the space madness, and he's, yeah. like, you know, screaming in the capsule. <laughs> freaking out and here we go with my favorite episode of the joel years uh, i anytime this one came on comedy central i would always watch it and that is the giant gila mon gila monster <laughs> yes that is a very good episode for sure yeah especially uh, that was when it, that, at the end right when it's about to hit with a car and it goes the horror the horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they have it like quoting yeah. lines from Apocalypse Now all through the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the giant Gila monster. Uh, it was, um, yeah, it was one of the first ones that I ever saw. And uh, I re- just remember like... Uh, they always used clips from it in the commercials too. And it, so it was a long time before I saw it, but I knew having seen the giant Gila monster before, I knew that was the movie it was from, but they would just show like clips from it on the promos. And then I finally saw it and I was like, yeah, this is definitely one of the best. It has, it has like the snappiest. It's, it's one of those ones where they're like, where the jokes come really fast and furious, you know, um, which is, it's kind of funny because, you know, part of the reason why I don't like the sketches in between so much is because Joel was a really bad actor. Like, yeah, I mean, I know it was all part of his shtick to be kind of this like dopey stoner dude, but like he couldn't ever spit out his lines ever. Like he was always fumbling over his lines. And I don't think that was part of the act. I just don't think he was very good at dialogue, you know, (laughs) And next is 403 City Limits, which is one of the most bizarre fucking movies I've movies I have ever seen. But it has James Earl Jones driving off listening to Little Richard, so it can't all be bad. 
<laughs> Leave the Bronx. Leave the Bronx. At Leave l- the Bronx. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and next is one of the favorites, and it's great because of the giant monster, and that is Teenagers from Outer Space. <laughs> yeah. The thing I love about Teenagers from Outer Space, just the movie itself, is that, like, so, indeed, there are teenagers from outer space. They ha- seem to, they're wearing strange clothing. They seem to have no concept of how anything on Earth works, yet they're just, you know, the first one that comes along. They invite him to stay at the house, you know, take him out for burgers, whatever. They're just like, they don't, they don't see anything odd about this situation at all. Now, of course, the other two aliens that come are more menacing. They're actually looking for the first alien, so they don't really give a shit about blending in. But the and other, then the, the giant lobster. Yep, and then the giant monster comes at the end. Lobster monster. Yeah, I remember when they kill it. <laughs> hey, it's dead. Good, let's go get some butter and have us some dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are really good with drawn butter. Mm. And uh, next is uh, the being from another planet, which in reality is uh, Roger Corman's New World's Time Hunter. Right, Time Hunter. Yep. Yeah, where the alien is looking for these five jewels, and he ends up uh, killing everyone. Then it grabs the five jewels and just leaves the planet, and that's the end of the movie. (laughs) Well, that's how that's how it works, you know. I mean, what else is there to do? We got the jewels. He's ready. He's done. Yeah. And here is Attack of the Giant Leeches. Four six. <laughs> that movie is better than it has any rights to be. But then I love it because it's one of those tobacco road type films. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely like you can. You know, the target audience for that movie was definitely, like, you know, Southern drive-in goers, you know. Like, everything about it just screams that, you know. This is what we think life in the South is like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And next is the one of the movies that you was talking about earlier, and that is The Killer Shrews. With the cutest, fluffiest, psychotic killer shrews in history. <laughs> yeah, who's your good killer shrew? Who's your good killer yeah. shrew? <laughs> it was hilarious looking at those dogs with that co- their costume just barely hanging on there. As <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not even. They don't seem to be attached in any way. It's just they're just kind of like draped over the dogs. Like I don't even know how they stay on. <laughs> Like, yeah, they're just kind of draped. And that draped one over. guy that the dogs chase over the log, you know how they got yep. the got the dogs to chase him? Uh, I'm gonna say put hot dogs in his pocket. Yeah, <laughs> put hot dogs in his back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> After the scene with clothes, he's like, hey, "Help! They're trying to bite my asshole." <laughs> <laughs> uh. And next is one of those that actually was a good movie, and that's Hercules Unchained with Steve Reeves. Right. Again, like I said, the the sword and sandals ones don't really do it for me, but 
I do think Steve Reeves was a good choice for Hercules. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, that wasn't the only Hercules movie that he did. No. no, that wasn't, he did Hercules, that wasn't his only. That, yeah, he did too. Hercules and Hercules Unchained. Right. Uh, yeah. Next was the indestructible man with uh, Lon Chaney Jr. A convict dies in an electric chair and is brought back to life by mad scientists. And he sees to get sets to get out on those who squealed on him. <laughs> that movie is actually pretty cool. Like, uh, you know, if you if you saw that, uh, you know, kind of in that, you know, pre slasher movie error you know it, it's kind of just a it, it has a lot of like the same feel as like john carpenter's halloween you know just like the creepy stalker guy you know just like yeah tracking down tracking down his victims one by one very a man of very few words you know <laughs> yeah oh and i just realized is that it was the giant Gila monster was the one that I watched before I went to see uh, Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. That's a bad... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's bad to get in the MST3K mood when you're going to watch something by Sleepwalk, like Sleepwalkers, because you're going to rip that movie apart, and it's easy to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's not hard to do. Uh, I can't remember which one of the streaming services it was, but... Um, you know, around Halloween, one of the streaming services put a whole Stephen King section up, but with the exception of the TV version of it, uh, pretty much every other Stephen King movie that they put up there was a dud that you would never want to watch anyway. I mean, like Sleepwalkers. Not the, yeah, exactly. That's what reminded me of it. Sleepwalkers what was on there. What made me hilarious, what made me laugh at, and I did this at Sleepwalkers, was that when the cats are attacking the monster, the cat demon at the end of it, mm-hmm. I would use the most sweetest, most beautiful, I would use the most violent terms I could, like, rip his fucking eye out! Then I would use it <laughs> like, Mr. Fluffy? <laughs> Got him like a fucking pig, uh, Mr. Jingles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but next yeah. is Reg Park and Hercules versus the Moon Men. Hercules versus the Moon Men. Yeah, it's a bunch I of guys that run around is. town and moon and moon everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. In the you know, in the time of Hercules, that might not have been as frowned upon. You know, <laughs> if all the if all the rumors are to be believed, you know. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, but. And this one is actually a good movie. Bert I. Gordon's The Magic Sword. Yeah, that seems like. Uh... <laughs> The only thing I can think of when I see the magic sword is uh, Joe Dante's matinee. um, And, you know, the kids are anxiously awaiting the, you know, the, the new scary movie to come to town. And when they're, when their mom sends them to the movies the weekend before the scary movies coming and the only movie that's Mm -hmm. playing is the wacky, uh, the wacky shopping cart or something like that. 
Like, <laughs> not that the magic, not that the magic sword is like goofy like that, but it seems like the type of movie that they would have played like only on like Saturday matinees, just so you could send the kids out of the house for a couple hours, you know, go watch a movie. Yeah. And next is Reg Park again with Hercules and the Captive Women. I didn't watch those. Those were boring. The Hercules ones. I mean, they're good as is, but you could just tell they were stretching to get jokes for it. Yeah. Well, it's like the really in those types of movies, like you can make fun of like you know the goofy dialogue or but you know most of the jokes seem to come during the fight scenes where they're just goofing on like how you know cheesy and ridiculous the fight scenes are or how cheap the the sets are or something you know and yeah you can only do that for so many movies before it's like okay well you got to find a new angle or find a new series to make fun of you know that's the thing like they did so many Gamera movies that and it's like pretty much the same jokes every time because every Gamera movie is pretty much the same, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just and like every Godzilla is, movie. Uh, Manhunt in Outer Space edited together episodes of uh, the 50s TV shows Rocky Jones Space Ranger. Yep. <laughs> uh, that and this that one, one's got all the... Yeah. It's got the heroic space captain, and he's got his annoying child sidekick and his mad scientist friend, and then his female co-pilot who, you know, is in love with him or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it has all, it has everything that you need from a, <laughs> from that type of, type of movie. And next is, uh, one of their best episodes, which leads to one of their funnier jokes, and that's. Bert I. Gordon's Tormented. You remember is about mm-hmm. halfway into the movie, and he's like, Joel, what, Tom? This is actually a good movie. Shh. They'll change it if you mm-hmm. say something. <laughs> and if you've yeah, ever seen I... Bert I. Gordon's Tormented, it actually is a very damn good movie. Yeah. It's, uh, it's creepy, that's for sure like legitimately creepy like you know one of the uh coincidentally because it does take place near the ocean but um it uh it kind of reminds me of uh the that segment that Leslie Nielsen segment in Creep Show uh when he goes back to try to find the bodies and all he finds is like the chewed off cord and the TV's gone and he's just yeah. like uh they they just went out to see, you know, it's like that guy sees like the dress floating in the water and stuff. And like, there's all this, like, you know, like he, he can never be sure that he's safe. You know, <laughs> it has a very creepy underlying vibe to it. Yeah. And next is the beatniks, another teenage in trouble movie and not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh not for nothing but i don't know no, none of the kids in that movie seem to dress or act like beatniks to me <laughs> uh i guess the closest one is that kid with the long hair that's always causing the trouble 
but yeah. Like, and speaking of what you said earlier about hey, let's get a bunch of people in the mouth face and have na- almost naked women. That's for <laughs> sixteen. Fire maidens yeah. from outer space, 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 space. space. <laughs> uh, I had a college professor who used to be obsessed with that movie. He loved it. <laughs> I mean, he he was into all kinds of like old like B movies, you know, science fiction movies from the fifties and sixties, you know. <laughs> but he 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 really liked that movie for some reason. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was the fire, the maidens, the outer space. <laughs> Probably uh, the maidens. But next yeah, is right. Morris Rocky Jones Space Ranger edited together. Crash of the Moons. Moving on. Next is Attack of the Eye Creatures. Now, this is one of my absolute favorites. Like, I could watch this one anytime that I see it on, I, I watch it. It's, it's definitely one of my favorite. <laughs> uh, it just like, it, it ropes me right in from the very beginning because they show the title card and there's a misprint on it. And Joel looks at it and he's like, Hey, look, attack of the, the eye creatures, <laughs> the title card, the title yeah. card has the misprint on it. Uh, so I don't know. I really like that one. It's, it's got some of the best, like one-off jokes in it. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're on to 419, The Rebel Set. A coffee house owner wants to knock off the car and gets three losers to help him. And he wonders why it goes wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, is that the same one where, is that the same movie where the uh, one of the kids that's working on like he he's he's trying to run away with his girlfriend and get married so he's planning on stealing all the money from him anyway mm-hmm. like i yeah i think that's the movie yeah but yeah uh the uh yeah the, the guy who sets up the whole the whole thing the <laughs> uh yeah picks like three idiots who don't know what they're doing and then he's like what 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 did i do wrong <laughs> Yeah, but you know, and he didn't put next, together the re- he didn't put together the reservoir dogs on this one. <laughs> hey, they all got killed and screwed it up too, so you can't talk say that. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, number four twenty at night four twenty <laughs> the human duplicators. An alien takes over Professor Basement Lab and makes android clones. This is another one with a stupid plot. Like, I will create clones of everybody, and they will be watching me, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do like the that um, the look of that movie, though. It's, I mean, it's a it's a bad, it's a horrible movie. And once again, it leans on the uh, secret laboratory laboratory experiments idea that I, but uh. I really like the look of that movie. It's got that like everything from the equipment in the lab to like the furniture and the clothing and everything. It's got that real mod look, you know, like <laughs> it's got that sixties mod look to it, you know? Yeah. And like, next is one of my all time favorite bad movies where HD Lewis <laughs> bought this unfinished movie and 
decided to uh, shoot some more scenes for it and edited all this crap together. And what do you get? Monster a go go. <laughs> we actually wrote about this for uh, for the website uh, yeah. many many years ago. I think we had written an entire article about unfinished films, and this was one of the ones that we talked about. Yeah. Yep. And it does like we we I think we even said in the in the article like be warned when we say unfinished film we mean unfinished film he literally stitched together a bunch of crap that he had and then when he was out of crap he was just like well here's a movie <laughs> yeah he just like, said i just got a letter and it said that the guy it wasn't the guy and then it just shows the monster walking off and then dun 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> dun 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 and next is one of the Nordic fairy tale movies that they caught a lot of shit for, which is The Day the Earth Froze. Why did they catch a lot of shit for it? Because it was actually a good Nordic fairy tale and stuff, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. It's still, it's now, still kind of a cheesy movie, though. It's wild because this is the only Ed Wood film that MST3K ever did and that's Bride of the Monster. Bride of the Monster with Tor Johnson. <laughs> uh, that that must have Bella Lugosi in it too. I can't remember. It yeah. must. He's that was the Warnall. same era. Yeah. Yeah. That was the same era when they were when Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi were working together. So Yeah. Uh, that was Plan Nine from Outer Space, but Bride of the Monster was a sequel, or was it Bride of the Atom? That's an Ed Wood movie too, right? That uh, no, I, no, because I thought Night Bride of the, of the Ghouls Monster was, was a se- Night of the Ghouls was a sequel to Bride of the Monster. All right, yeah, I knew there was a sequel to it, yeah. but I couldn't remember what it was. And now we can move on to one of the God episodes of MST3K <laughs> Fandom. Yes. <laughs> this this is the one where if you want to say the show made a movie, they made this movie. Because before they <laughs> yeah. showed it, did you know about Manos, the Hands of Fate? Yeah, I mean, it has quite a legend behind it. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. Manos is so. Spanish for hands, so it's really hands, <laughs> the hands of fate. <laughs> so the legend goes that uh, the legend goes that the director was uh, made a bet that he could make a, a very inexpensive movie, better than apparently. So the legend goes, he had a friend who was a Hollywood director, and he claimed that he could make a better movie for way less money. And the end result was what is possibly one of the worst films ever made. <laughs> I yeah. mean, but but uh, it uh, this uh, episode also starts the running gag that became one of the all-time uh, greatest hits for Mystery Science Theater. Watch out for snakes. Yeah, <laughs> this was the movie. This was the movie where that was born. Uh, inexplicably, there's a. <laughs> a guy walking off into the darkness and someone off camera, probably in post-production just says, look out for snakes. 
And that became a running gag on Mystery Science Theater. If it's, they still do it on the new episodes with Jonah, every once in a while, there'll be a watch out for snakes. Yeah. And, uh, I saw Mystery Science Theater live. Uh, I saw Mystery Science Theater live a couple of years ago. Yeah. And because it's nearly 10, we'll have to deal with season five next week because in between season four and season five is with the shit really hit the fan between uh, Trace Ballou and uh, Joel. Right. So what was the what was the nature of their feud? Well, uh, for the movie, uh, Trace Ballou was going to take just for himself the writing credits, the producers' credits, and the directed by credits. Hmm. Well, that doesn't seem and, right. I mean, these guys yeah. obviously all wrote these things together. <laughs> Yeah. You know. Well, he got stars in his eyes. He's seen they were going to make a movie. <laughs> uh. So next next week, uh, we we're, we're going to deal with uh, five. And what's weird is I didn't realize. Did you that uh, Joel only did half of season five before he left? Uh. No, I wasn't really I wasn't really sure exactly what uh what his last episode was. Yeah, his last episode is Mitchell. Mitchell, yeah. Oh that yeah. that's a fun one to talk about too. <laughs> yeah. And then we had uh Nelson Mike J. Nelson's uh yeah. episodes, but thank you for listening. We'll get to more next time, but do not forget that he was an uncredited writer, but pretty much Mike Nelson wrote about on every episode of MS33TK1000. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, uh, his wife was uh, always involved with the show as well. Uh, I'm not sure if she was, did much writing on it, but she always played characters. In fact, when they spoof. Mr. B natural in a later episode, she plays Mr. B natural. Yeah. Yeah. And we have our craps giving movie. Like I said, we're going to do Veronica and Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to get a surprise set up for it. If not, it will just be me laughing as Nate probably curses me out for making him watch this crap. (laughs) No, I want to see it. I've been wanting to see it. <laughs> I've been intrigued yeah. ever since I saw saw the trailer. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be horrible, but and probably <laughs> not even the good kind of horrible. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, I mean, with that, good night. Happy almost Thanksgiving, everybody. And <sighs> thanks for coming. Thanks for being back. And congratulations on killing there. Oh. And- <laughs> Let's not forget, what's yeah. the worst thing you can be as a comedian? Is it not funny? No. What is it? The worst thing that you can be as a comedian is a joke thief. And with yeah. that, mm-hmm. and with that <laughs> good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>